Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Good morning, good night, depending on the time of day you're watching this, because right now we're time traveling all over, because it's 5 p.m., 11 a.m. for CB, 8 a.m. for Howard with us. So I hope you're watching this from all over the world. You're probably not, and you'll watch this later because you're lazy and you don't like to see this live or it's too early for you. So thank you for being with us. First of all, Howard, how are you? I'm just this side of fabulous, as noted earlier. How about you, David? All good, all good. Waiting for to be vaccinated sooner or later. Hopefully sooner than later. And how are you, CB? How's things for you? I'm good. You know, everything's, uh, you know, peachy keen here in New York. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, I got my second dose, so I'm vaccinated. And, uh, you know, trying to return to life as normal, which is going to be hard. You know, what is normal these days? But, you know, uh, you know. That is an that is an amazing question. Comics. That, that is an amazing question. What is normal these days? What is normal these days, Howard? I, I think it's a matter of someone coming up with a tutorial to re-socialize us because you know we've been we, we've been so separated from each other for well over a year that learning how to be among people in real life is going to be a you know a curve. I mean, I, I think it's going to be difficult. You know, I, I, and I'm not being clever or funny here. I think it's deadly serious. But David's point is right. There is we, we are not returning. We're going to be reinventing what normal normality is once we come back. But we, but do we really want to? I mean, do we really want to be to go back to the same thing we had before, or you know, or we we or we will adjust. For example, I mean, yesterday I was watching a a show. It's a small show. It's like 10, 15 minutes every day, a daily show on TV, and they only give data, you know, from the. It's not. It's not one of those news programs, you know, where just they give opinion. It's just data after data, and they were saying, okay, important data that nobody's thinking about. Last year in Spain, there was about whatever number of uh, flu cases, you know, a lot. Like in Spain this year, we have seven cases, seven in a forty-seven million country, and you are like, okay, do we want to go back to that, or we are going to adjust, knowing that if we are careful in the winter, you know, with the mask and all that, we can avoid we can avoid a lot of infections, not only the COVID ones. And as you know, you know it much better than I do, CB, the mask is something, you know, that in Asia is much more useful than we do here. Mm-hmm. Do you think we should, as Western people, we should adjust? Or we are all just going to say, fuck it, we're tired of this, let's just go back to where we're there. Well, I, I, I think there's, you can be optimistic about the potential of adjusting to, to change, but I don't think that... Uh... Western culture is, is available to that kind of change. I think Western culture simply assumes that that personal identity transpa- transcends and, and, and overvalues communitarianism. And you know, mm-hmm. fuck the world, I got mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an unfortunate reality, but that's that's the that's the culture in which we live. Um, e- every couple of years, someone tries to create a community based organization that, that that people can identify with. Mm-hmm. But then, then a book comes along called Bowling Alone, which which identifies the real the real real aspect. There's certainly American culture. I can't mm-hmm. speak for European culture, but I I mean I I would I would embrace what you're talking about, David, in a heartbeat. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and we're just going to have to be more aware of this as we can start traveling again whenever things open up. Who knows? You know, there's 
that's the thing that's been really difficult, I think, for so many of us, like to travel and do co- conventions. You know, comics, we, we, we sit alone and make, you know, comics, especially, you know, how you know this so well, you know, as, as a freelancer. And the, the cons are those opportunities to be so social and get out there and see your colleagues and, you know, enjoy and, you know, meet the fans and talk about what we, we do. Um, and we haven't been able to do that in what, 14 months now? And wow. we were saying, you know, we, we should technically around this time, it'd be a number of cons. There would have been Chicago Comic Con, C2E2. We might even be in Barcelona because the show, you know, there, I, I would love to be, Barcelona's one of the places I want to go the most when we can start traveling again. Um, but yeah, we're just going to have to see where it all takes us. And every country and, you know, every culture is going to be a little bit different in how they're going to be dealing with the, the tourists coming back. And then and as far as was, as my, uh, we love conventions. We miss conventions. We all know that, you know. Even if, if they told us one year ago, you miss conventions, we would probably say no. Fuck no. I need to rest. Now we all miss them because, you know, it's like that, that thing that you don't know, you miss until they take it away from you. Yeah. But do you think we're going to be able to adjust and not being extra careful when you go to a convention or just keep the distance and ask people to keep the distance at least for a while? Yeah, you I know, think enough enough disasters are going to take place that, that ultimately I think we'll be scared into taking care. I think that, that, that seems to be the likelihood, you know, mis- missteps will lead us back to, to some kind of, some kind of deeper, deeper version of reality. That's my scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How about you, what do you think? I, I've been talking to a few of the convention companies, you know, <clears throat> just about it. because they've been, you know, wanting to engage the publishers about what would, what would bring us back and what's going to be safe. And, you know, They're talking about, you know, of course, screenings for everyone that goes in, which is the lines are going to be even longer, but it's a necessary precaution we're going to have to take. Plexiglass, how are we going to handle signings? The the, the, the aisles, you know, they're, they're saying they're not even going to sell weekend pass anymore. It's going to be day by day. Like, you can pick one day you're going to be able to go in. And who knows if all this is going to come to pass within the next, you know, six months when when we get there finally in October. Yeah. But, you know, we're, we're going to – it is going to be – there is going to be no new normal anymore, um, you know, like we, we were saying earlier. But it, we're gonna, we as as publishers, we as creators, we as fans are just all gonna have to adjust to just if, if we want to celebrate the medium that we love. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, I, I mean, I booked for my first show for September, and mm-hmm. got, it's a show that I've been to before. That up, and I've been there twice before, and it's predominantly civilian show. I mean, it's a show that that attracts that mom, dad, and the stroller looking for that souvenir to commemorate their movie going experience as opposed to the, the broader stroke family of, of enthusiasts. Mm-hmm. And um, I believe that that population, that part of the population of shows is going to vanish. I mean, mm-hmm. over the past five, half decade, uh, I can't sp- say this for, for, for European shows, but in the States, it's been endemic. I mean, you're sitting at your table, and I would say that three out of the five people who pass you are people that have absolutely no idea of the material we do, mm-hmm. but are for a for a, a Deadpool comic book because they like the movie, mm-hmm. uh, they've, they've never seen a comic book. They don't they don't really know they exist ex- beyond the abstract. And I think that 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 proportion of of, of the uh, for example the San Diego show, um, I mean I haven't been to the San Diego show since fifteen or sixteen, and I'll never go back because just fuck those people. Um, <laughs> but I was sitting I was sitting at the Omni at eight o'clock in the morning, uh, looking out at the, at the mosh pit, about to go into the rooms. And this is on a Saturday. Um, Thursday or Friday in the morning. And I realized that, you know, out of the 160,000 people, there were maybe 35,000 serious enthusiasts. The rest are tourists looking for Mardi Gras. Mm-hmm. Mardi, yeah. And the Mardi Gras guys are gone. They, 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 they will, they, they, that will have a profound impact on the convention's gate, but not on us. Mm-hmm. That's, mm-hmm. That, that's the weird equation involved. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. 
But because by the end, by the end of the day, the fans are going to remain. But you mean that the general public is going to be more careful, at least well, for a while. Look, I mean, I I live in Ventura, California, which is about a five-hour train ride north of San Diego. Mm-hmm. And you can and I and over the years, I would go down to the show for one or two days at a time. And in the beginning, they were the, the only people on the show who were on the way to to the show with me were were a slew of a half a dozen Bur- uh, Disney animators who all got on, on a Burbank. Mm-hmm. And then then there were the schmucks on the way, you know, the, the Madras short shitheads on the way to Del Mar for the racetrack. Um, <laughs> And, and over the past, the last five years of that experience, people started loading up in Van Nuys and, and, and in, uh, in Sherman Oaks and in the, in the Union Station who were there as tourists, solely as tourists, because they'd seen an entourage, they'd see these morons dressed like idiots, and they presumed that's, that was the function of the, of the room. Our existence had become slowly but, 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 in, but just in, imminently completely ghettoized. By the time I was there, Artist Alley felt like I was in, in La Jolla, you know, they, they've moved us, you know? Um, and, and again, but that, that's the nature of the beast because comics are no longer, comics are the flea on the tail that wags the dog. Mm-hmm. The dog, the dog is the movies, the tail, the tail is the conventions and the fleas are the artists and the comics they make. That's mm-hmm. really where it's at. So, since we're talking about shows real quick, I want to just, I didn't plan this at all. I, I, I got vaccinated. First thing I did was go back and see my parents. I was in my old bedroom I found something. It was from the first big Comic-Con my dad took me to when I was a kid. Um, I got it framed this weekend. Four signatures. George Perez, Marv Wolfman, Bob Layton, Dennis, Denny Cohen. And actually here, I think, it's, it's, there's a hidden signature. Like it's, I think it's Jim Starlin. I can't really tell. But I just found this pinned to a wall in my parents' house. And I was like, what the? Oh, my God. Like from my, I remember my dad. We got on the train, went into New York City. It was a whole big deal. I really didn't have anything. I didn't even think to bring comics. I didn't know what it was. I thought, oh, you go. They're going to give you stuff or you buy, you know, things. And, and I just I didn't know what to do. Or all those people, I just had a piece of paper. Like, Could you sign this? <laughs> How old were you? Uh, I think this was in 83. So I probably would have been around 11, 12, depending. And we had those local, like, motel shows where the dealers oh, would I go know. in. And that's what I expected. Again, oh, it's just going to be 10 cent, you know, box, boxes of comics you go through and this and that. And this was, it was, it was, was in, uh, it was not at the Javits. It was at Pennsylvania Hotel. <clears throat> the Statler Hilton, the Hotel Maurice for Pimps. Maybe. <laughs> I think it was one of those, um, you know, uh, Fred Greenberg cons or something like that. And it was just mind-blowing for me how big this was. Like, it opened my eyes to, this is what comic is. are still doing shows there. You know? Yeah. It's, uh, the hotel's coming down, by the way. I don't know if you've heard. Oh, is it? They're tearing it down. Wow. The Pennsylvania is finally coming down. The Pennsylvania finally come, it was it was due but twenty years ago. Oh, please. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's be on, let's be honest. You know, it's, you, well, didn't, I'm, you I'm, didn't even I'm need to get ex- you didn't even need to get in. It was just passing by and saying, "You're dead." <laughs> you're dead. You don't know it yet, but you're dead. <laughs> that, that, that hotel had, had had the feeling of this literally hot and cold and cold running syphilis. You know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, uh, two things first. To all of you, you know the title, but yeah, it's been a year. This yeah. is why these two guys are here. Crazy one year, 183 shows in a year, should mean. And second, of course, you don't see Carlos here. He is going to try to come. He had a, um, a medical thing, not bad, not bad, don't worry about it. But had to a doctor appointment to, to go to in last minute. Probably he'll he'll post, he'll try to come to come in and and. But he had to have his scar surgery removed. 
Yes, some, something that I am not going to say what part of his body. <laughs> no, <I'm sorry. laughs> anyway, CB, do you remember what the first Howard comic that you read? So I'm sorry, say again. CB, uh, do yeah, you I, 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 I don't know the first one. I clearly remember Black Kiss reading that. And uh, uh, there, there was probably some earlier stuff. I mean, of course, Star Wars was, you know, an early exposure to, to, to Howard's work in art. But I, I couldn't put my finger on the, the exact one. So, mm -hmm. But I remember the discussions we would have um, around a, a bunch of stuff, particularly the, the Black Kiss. Yep. Mm -hmm. how, how you were going to hell, but, 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 but in the meantime, what the fuck is comics, right? You know? Yeah, exactly. And you were reading it like this because you're like, oh, wait, I shouldn't show this to too many people. <laughs> you know, we, we, we really wanted to get a, a branded condom to go with the book. But uh, <laughs> it's not cost-efficient, you know. Oh, but David, too, also, just real quick before we go, uh, congratulations to you. Happy anniversary. It's a wonderful thing you've been doing for fans around the world with this, um, you know, exposing fans to comic creators and comic culture from different countries. Um, it's been so diverse, and it's been great to see you grow. So congratulations. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Nobody watches it. Nobody watches it. Nobody cares, but, you know. What? How I'm great to be, back to be, to be, you know, to have started this thing and to be back, back for the beginning of the new year. Yeah. yeah, because you are, you guys uh, were kind enough to start it. You know, you guys and Carlos, that's the first week. So, and that, that's something that I, I, I won't forget, you know, that's, that's, that's the love. And also, what do you think is going to happen? Um, or you, from a creator perspective and from an editorial perspective with the readership, you know, do you think that at least in Spain, we know the numbers have been really good. I mean, After, you know, the lockdowns and all that, we saw the numbers and the numbers for comics have grown, you know, the sales and all that. Do you think that trend is going to continue the U.S., you know, that the lockdowns have have helped people, you know, regain the, the habit of reading again? Are you as optimistic as I am or you don't give a fuck? I, I could go either way. You want to state your opinion first, Howard? Do you want me to jump in? I, 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 have, I have no dog in this fight. I have no idea. I just don't know. Yeah, so... Just, you know, I can speak from our perspective, David, and, you know, just <clears throat> we're thrilled with the numbers, but we wouldn't expect have expected to be if we you talked to me a year ago and said, where the com where are comics going to be. And we did talk about it a little in that first episode, what the future of the industry is going to be. Um, and you talk to me now it would have been a completely different answer. Um, you know, I'm I'm I, I'm thrilled that print comics are still as strong, if not stronger than they were. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we have more books over a hundred thousand copies now per month than we did in the past. Um, the the digital sales continue to grow as well, which is a positive thing. But the, the what we're finding out is those are more, um, you know, non-comic fans. Those are people who want something, want to come. They watch the Disney Plus shows. They want more. They're coming in. They're subscribing to Marvel Unlimited or buying their books through Comixology. And, but that hasn't taken any sales away from the actual print comic communities, the comic stores. More people are going into comic shops, too. So it's almost both mediums are, are you know, are seeing increases. Um, if we see it continue, we hope so. Uh, you know, I don't see any end in sight. The comic industry as a whole, from what everything that us, you know, and all the publishers across the industry are doing, I think it's a wonderful time to be in comics. There's so much amazing stuff out there. It's given different creators time to come and play in comics, too. Um, and we've got we've seen some great results. Mm -hmm. The only thing we, we have to be worried about, too, and we keep a constant eye on this, is the collector market has grown as well, and the, mm -hmm. that means the speculator market has grown. Yes. 
And not just for comics, but also for comic book art. If you look at some of those prices that are coming through now on originals yeah. and, you know, especially the slab CGC books, mm-hmm. um, everything is record setting, record breaking. And we just have to be careful like Bitcoin. You know, you're yes. seeing that rise, too. But we as publishers, and I don't know, we're keeping constant eye on it with variant covers and what we're doing. Just know that we can't, you know, create that bubble again that could possibly burst. We have to be very cautious of that, which is something we're doing. Um but yeah, I'm I'm extremely positive about the future of where this is going in, in print and in digital. Yeah, we're seeing the same thing here. Not not as much in digital, but you know, Spain the publishers the moment they started telling me the numbers, and of course they were the same. Really, really worried about what was going to happen. But the moment they started seeing the numbers, they were like, "Oh my God, this is not what you expected." And by the end of the year, everybody told me the numbers for the year have been better than the year before. So uh, how the and how is it for you? You know, Howard, you're now involved with the uh, with uh, Hey Kids Comics. You're working on the third on the third, on the third one, I guess. I, I, the, the, the second volume is was we finished the second volume in, in April last year, a year ago, and uh, and one one of I mean this with all of the the various adjustments of 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 of, uh, of the of the of delivery systems. You know, even just thinking about how, how to deal with this. I'm ba- I've got a, a a ton of work banked. I mean, I've got six issues. Of hey kids, I've got a hundred page graphic novel that I did for Dark Horse, and I've got the final Chad Times Squared book in the trilogy. All three are finished; they've been finished for months. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, I'm working on a, on, a, on a, a new a new new material for a new website. I'm doing a web comic, uh, which is which will ultimately end up being in print. But but the truth is, I've not stopped working, and you know, I mean, and what my work my work week my workflow has been such since since my wife and I don't take weekends to go to the movies and do the thing we do on weekends now. Our weekends now consist of half days of work and cooking. You know, we we both you know been been doing a lot of a lot of chef work. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I have absolutely no clue. I mean I'm I'm a niche market. I mean I'm I'm not I, I don't deal with the kind of numbers that C B does. I mean the, the reality is I'm a marginal figure and a cult figure in the comic book business. I don't work for Marvel or D C and uh, I'm I'm unemployable by both with all due respect, C B. Um, I can't get a fucking job from you guys to save my life. Um, and I'm okay with this. I've reached the point where I'm just not that particularly interested in, in putting aside my, my personal feelings about material and just delivering skill set work. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm committed to working in the context of the work that I do. And that means, you know, crime fiction, historical stuff, some erotica. Um, and the, the experience I'm having right now is, you know, I'm I'm a, I'm an old man, and I'm and I have my skill sets are still in pr- pretty 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 fluid, and there only there's only one or two other guys that I can think of off the top of my head of my generation is still doing work that's not a, pro- a parody of itself, um, and I intend to keep doing that, but the the market I reach has nothing to do with the market that exists that that's a trickle down market from the movies because because what CB is talking about is both the enthusiast market and the civilian market, the, an aspect of the civilian market that I mentioned earlier. Um, that That's so not not my world at all. It has nothing to do with me. Um, you know, I, I made a series of choices many, many years ago that I would not attach myself, that I would not take the route that most of my colleagues had taken um, to achieve a fan base. And, you know, the price I've paid is the, I'm the architect of, of whatever issue I have, so I hold no one responsible. But... But the reality is, it's given me both fluidity, freedom, and, and thirdly, a, a a kind of near invisibility in the context of the mass market. Mm-hmm. 
you know, most people think I, there, there, there's an astonishing number of people who think I still live in New York and I'm dead. So either way, it works out perfectly for me. That's it. But we, we a part of what we were, we're still discussing, uh, the numbers that CB, CB said, what we noticed in Spain, and correct me if I'm wrong, CB, is that we got a lot of new civilian, as, as call, uh, Howard called them, uh, readers, right? We, it's not only the ones we have. It's, we, we are recovering readers that we lost and getting new people within the spec because people want to read and they go back to, to the habit of reading comics. Or some that never did it, they are starting now because of the pandemic. Have you seen that too? On our end, yes. Yeah, we, we, we're definitely seeing that. And now it's just a matter of will we be able to retain those readers if and when things open up, when the weather gets nicer, when the movie theaters open up, like, like Howard said, when people start being able to find other distractions or other forms of entertainment or other things to do with their families now that they're not going to be as cooped up. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where we're going to have to just wait and see. Uh, yeah. Again, we have to be careful with, uh, you know, keep an eye on the markets. Yeah, and also, you know, the, the diversity that you were mentioning is, is I think, Correct me again if I'm wrong. Uh, don't you guys think we are in the most diverse market we have like ever? And that's a really good thing because we can literally reach any kind of reader we want. Be it, if they're interested in something like what Howard does or Marvel Comics or other Image Comics, boom, whatever. It's a full diversity of titles and genders that we can reach more people. Do you think that? I, I think so. And I'll, I'll let Howard answer. But, you know, he talked about the genres that, that he's been working in. We have, you know, what what we and some of our, you know, folks do. Boom, IDW, Image, are the their their catalogs just seem to be growing. And the one thing I've noticed, and I go to the shop, you know, every week just to 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 do my, all my shopping, is there's an influx now of more European comics than I can ever imagine seeing translated into English from you know diff- different companies across the board. You know, some companies that I think have been created just to bring that stuff in. And some creators who are doing it themselves. And that doesn't also include what's going on on Kickstarter, yep. which has been a different phenomenon, you know, altogether, especially over the last 12 months. So, yeah, you know, in, in terms of diversity, I don't think there's ever been a time where I've been able to, I've seen more comics um, from global creators translated into English and sold here in the States from my, from my perspective. What do you think about that, uh, Howard? I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, my, the stuff, that, I mean, I'm, because of the situation I'm in right now, my, my, my reading experience was always always consisted of, you know, spending an hour at the gym on the bike um, and then you know, a reading before bedtime. And that the bike's, it, bike is gone. You know, I'm not going to the gym. So I'm reading at night. Um, so I'm reading less and listening more. So my, my comics consumption is much lighter. Um, and, but, I, but I've been more experimental in that material mm-hmm. um, and more often than not disappointed by the experience. Um, but, but I, but again, the, I, I think the, the diversity that we're talking about is, is both a blessing and a curse mm-hmm. because to a profound extent, what you're getting is you have a, oh, sorry, I'm being invaded here. Um, the, on, on the one hand, you have a, a kind of a pandering diversity, Actually, in both cases, the, the, the diversity that we're, a lot of the diversity we're talking about is pandering to a base. Um, I, 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 I posted a piece on, on Substack some, some, about a month or so back about people on the, on the right presuming that for some reason, because I was being despised by people on the left in a selective way, that I was not one of them. And, um, and I had a really comic evening of being, having a full court press done on me by, by these guys to come work for the, for the comic skate folks. Fuck, jeez, yeah. wow, are you kidding? You know, have you read that stuff? 
And it became, it became even more comic when it turned out that they not only, they, they wanted me to, to illustrate, to, to, to be collegially involved with a script written by this cat. And do you know who I am? I mean, at least who I think I am, for fuck's sake. Um, but, but again, the, 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 the limitations of diversity is, is also becoming, becoming relevant. I mean, I mean, as CB knows, I mean, I've, I've been collecting European comics since the late 1960s when Gil Kane introduced me to Jean-Claude Giraud and Jean-Claude Messier. Um, and I, and even before that, I was fully aware of, of Maroto and, and, and Carlos Jimenez. And I, I, I was buying Carlos Jimenez's comics from a bodega when I, in my, when I was, when I was six, 15 and 16, Danny Futuro and Delta 99. Um, so I, I've been hip to this shit forever. You know, I mean, you know, one, one of the great things is that I, when, when I, I, I knew, I knew where that guy was swiping from when I, when I saw uh, some Pai Juan Munoz material coming up and showing up at DC comics, you know, I didn't have to be educated in that regard. Um, <laughs> You know, so you know, and and I and I'm I'm on a a, a solid footing with with the European material. Uh, I have less of, less interest and less ac- access to the Asian market because I'm just not that interested in the manga and anime stuff. It's the the, the tropes and, and language of the material leaves me a bit cold. Um, but I'm I'm deeply into the South American stuff. I, I'm a huge fan of the Nacional uh, on so many levels. Um, and and of course, I feel Michaluzzi. He's a you know he's a constant source of source of attention for me. Um, one of the things about going, go, by spending as much time as I have in Europe is, is meeting and, 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 and encountering the material. Mm-hmm. Um, I recently did, did an extended piece in, in, in celebration of, the, of, a, of an Italian series of basically boys' adventure books called mm-hmm. Uomo d'Aventura from the mm-hmm. late 70s and early 80s um, that, that I'm really pr- pleased about. I mean, just, oh, I mean, it's one of the rare instances, for example, speaking of which, of Mila Manara, mm-hmm. not doing his usual one-trick pony bullshit, but actually doing a really solid narrative. Mm-hmm. This is, but again, it's forty years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so I, I I'm I, I'm all in on that. Um, but on the other hand, I you know I'd still this this may sound perverse and nutty, you know I'd love someone to produce a comic book that spoke from a political perspective, which I hold in complete contempt. That was good. Mm-hmm. That would be an interesting thing for me to see. I haven't seen it yet. Where is where is the Lenny Riefenstahl of right wing comics? That's the question I've got. So who knows? Uh, Humberto, hello, hello Humberto Ramos. Where is Pacheco? As I said before, uh, he's had a last-minute doctor appointment. He is going to try to come at some at some point. We don't know if he's going to be able to, and he'll see his high boss, I guess. <laughs> um, is there any mangas that you can point at Howard that you've read and liked, or it's just not your thing? And not it's a single one. Closest I can say is is a is is a, is Akira. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, Larry Hama showed up back at Continuity in the early 80s with with copies under under his arm like this that he bought at Kunikino Ya um, at Radio at, at Rockefeller Center, and um, and we were flabbergasted. I mean, to a great extent, it it, it, it caught and reflected aspects of of, of, of like you know a hundred years of science fiction illustration and comics design. Um, the funniest thing about about that was when, about a year later, um, we were we were at continuity and and Pepe Moreno had never seen it for some reason, and Pepe was looking at it suddenly and says, "This guy's got a system," <laughs> you know. And of course, the system was twenty guys, uh, <laughs> but it worked out okay. Um, but yeah, but I just I find the the work um, unengaging, you know, in a, in a way that. Um, 
I mean, and, and again, I'm open to extremely cartoon work. I mean, Mazier is certainly broadly cartooned. Mazier picks up on aspects of Jack Davis's stuff that that continues to, to delight me. Um, <clears throat> and, and and again, m- among my favorite illustrators is a guy named Earl Oliver Hurst, who has never been identified as a realist. He's an extra- extraordinary cartoonist. And I, you know, I, I grew up on, on on a cartoonier style. I can't do it, but I love it. Um, but I just can't warm to the to the manga stuff. The manga. My my granddaughters went through serious manga phases, and they mocked me for not fair, not sharing their enthusiasms. Um, but they're but they're little bitches, you know. They're <laughs> <laughs> they're voting age now, so I can't say anything. They do whatever they want. <laughs> what about you, CB? Do you think that? Uh, let me ask it this way: Do you think manga has influenced more American comics or? You, the, or other European or South American comics have influenced more American comics. What do you think has has happened mostly? I think it's the it's the first part. It's the the, the former there, David. I, I think that it, the 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 uh, influence that manga has had on not just style but on the creator base has been undeniable. Um, you know, it's just uh, you know I, I've been working you know in it in and around the manga industry for a long time, you know, from the time years I spent in Japan to, you know, the, the time I was working at, at Central Park Media. And we all knew that that was definitely where it was going to to head. You know, I remember uh, Joe Casada saying very early on, like, this is going to change the way uh, that we just not only make comics, but the people who make comics. Um, and, 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 and we've seen it, you know, and the, the early guys who were very into it, you know, you know, be it the, the, the Ed McGuinnesses and, the, and the, the Joe Madereras and stuff, but, Now, when you look at not just what we do in in comics, but the way that graphic novels, uh, you know, and and all different forms of, of uh, young young adult material or things are being produced by the Scholastics and the Abrams and the First Seconds, um, there, there's there's such a, a manga influence there too, um, and it it really it, it took the kind of I'm, I'm going to be stereotypical when I say this, but the idea that the um, the comic creator was a, you know, a, a white male um, who was telling stories, you know, the, the either, you know, fantasies or, or greedy stories or war stories, mystery comics. It moved us away from that. And it shows that comic creators can be anybody, you know. Um, and it wasn't solely manga's influence that did that. Don't get me wrong. But manga had a really big influence, uh, especially on the, the female creator base. There were so many women who got into comics through manga and then moved into Marvel and independent storytelling, started telling their own stories. Um, and you might not be able to tell it from the artwork, but you can tell it from the storytelling or the choices that they make or the kind of, of, of comics that they're creating. Um, and European comics definitely have had a, an influence, especially more so recently, I think, um, uh, with more international creators. As you know, we've been doing this for 20 years, you know, bringing international creators in, um, you know, to, to, to American comics. But also that, that the influences now of some of the guys that, you know, Howard... Uh, just mentioned uh, from from Europe, but also a lot of the, uh, the influence from the Brazilian creators now, and you know the influx of Mexican creators who took an influence from their previous generations of, of artists. Um, it's it's I mean it, it's the passage of time, of course, but you know the, it it has been um, just fascinating to to, to watch it and, and to be a part of. And it's also a matter, I guess, that it was much easier to find manga comics in the U.S. for a, a big amount of years than it was to find European comics, right? Yeah, and you know, I, I do think that also manga was much more prevalent in in Europe, uh, you know, 
for before it hit the states. I mean, I remember when I was traveling around Europe, seeing my relatives when I was a kid. You know, in in my you know very early on, that I would turn on, I would see anime more on TV when I would be over there, dubbed in French or, or or Italian or Swedish, depending on what country I was in. But also going to the shops, and I was getting Marvel comics in the summers in Strange and you know different formats that were coming out as we traveled. But there was also more manga on the stands then too that I would never see in the state that I never yeah. saw in the states until I was probably in high school. Mm -hmm. It's fascinating to think that manga influenced uh, Spanish or European creators in general before they did influence uh, American creators because we saw it earlier, and then you got the European creators there that had already been influenced by manga when you guys were starting to catch on on manga. So yep. it's, a, it's a really weird circle, right? So, so look, we have, a, we have a question here. The rest is everybody saying uh, congratulations, blah, blah, blah. Thank you, everybody. But this is not about me, so let's move on. Victor Rakiu says one question. I'm going to ask this to Howard. It's, it's a question for CB, but, you know, let me ask this to Howard. One question. Is there any advice you have for aspiring artists and what does a good portfolio have to, uh, need to have? Thank you very much. Hmm. <laughs> so, when, I, when I do a portfolio review, my first question is, do you really care what I think? And do you, do you feel that you can actually compete with the middle level of the, of the audience, of, of the material that, 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 you're, that you're looking to go for? <clears throat> the next question is, whose career do you want to steal and destroy? Uh, and the third question is, do you understand the concept of visual narrative? And it's a serious question because the, you know, I have, I have an assistant um, who has been with me for five years. And when he first came to work for me, he clearly had been told by his, by everybody who knew him that his work was just lovely. And his work was terrible. Uh, it was just, it was, it was, it was as bad as mine was when I went to work with Gil Kane. And what, what it demonstrated was that, it, that he, he had a vague understanding of the fact that a comic book was was a, a series of, of of squares and, and rectangles on them, but he had no concept that 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 there was a pattern, there was an organization, and there was a reason why those those panels were arranged in the way they were. Um, for the most part, what you need to have is a logic and understanding attached to what the pictures mean. Comic book artists are not illustrators. We are graphic designers in the service of narrative. Our job is to produce pictures that have narrative value. And anecdotally, I've told this story more than once. Some years back, I was on a panel with two guys who had just done a book, and the trade paperback had just come out. And the concept sounded really interesting. I bought the trade, and I read it on the way home on the plane. And in five issues, the pages had no distinctive idea of order. I had no idea one panel was supposed to lead to the next. The characters never acted. They never performed in ways physically that demonstrated that they had feelings the way we do in real life. <clears throat> and at, when, and most significantly, in five issues, there wasn't a single headshot in which the character in the book identified objectively with the art, with the reader. There were six people involved in a comic book a comic book page. There's an editor. There's a writer. There's an artist. There's a colorer. There's a colorist. There's a letterer. And there's a reader. The reader is the engine that turns the material. And that. If you think you can get by by drawing beautifully in comics, your career will be deeply limited to those who think you draw beautifully. Your job is to collaborate with, an, with a writer, whether you're writing it yourself or whether a writer is, is working with you in collaboration, to convey a visual experience based on a template of narrative provided to you by the writer. Mm -hmm. Long answer to a short question, but that's the reality. I've looked at stuff that was so much better drawn 
than, than much of the work that, that's in print, but had no narrative dialectic. It had no, had no, no structure to it. Whereas I've looked at guys whose work was crude, but had, had structure and had reason. This assistant of mine in mm-hmm. five years, his drawing has improved incrementally. Not great, but he can put a picture page together now like a motherfucker. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm serious. He can really make a page that makes sense. Years ago, when I worked for Gil Kane, Gil would hire guys to do his layouts. Why? I have no idea, because he was a really good layout man unto himself. There was a guy he had working for him who's vanished into the ether named Hudson Armstrong. I've never heard from him again. No idea where he is, whether he ever did anything. And Armstrong was a terrible draftsman, but he could put a page together like, like nobody's business. He really could. And that's what it's about. That's what I look for. You know, I mean, my experience is I look at a guy and I say, if I can get you to do better work for me than you're doing for yourself, that's the highest compliment I can give you right now. Mm-hmm. 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 My advice would can't can't top what, what what Howard just said because he said it so masterfully. But you know, my advice too is when I go to to conventions, no matter where I am in the world, and look at portfolios, it's always the storytelling. People talk about their style and their influence, and I can pick all those out very easily. But it's the storytelling that matters. And you know, people always say, especially when I'm at at, at shows in. Europe or in, in South America. Oh, I'm sorry, it's not in English. And I said, you know what? I'm glad it's not in English because as a storyteller, if you're doing your job, I should be able to follow the story not knowing what is in those balloons. I should be able to have an understanding of it. That's what I'm looking for. And that's what I think that people fail to, to see. Like like Howard said, they're so intent on the, the, the detail they want to draw beautifully. They lack the fact that we're supposed to be, they're supposed to be telling stories. Uh, from my side, I can only say one thing. When I ask artists, for example, Manuel Garcia, who's here, um, he, he knows. When, when I ask them for, for samples, they ask me for scripts, and I always say, no, no script. I got to be able to understand everything that's on these three pages without a script. You are not going to get the safety net. We'll get to the scripts later, but first, show me you can tell a story because that's your job. It's not to do pretty pictures. Well, that is also their job, but your main job is to tell a story. If you're not to tell a story, then we start talking about the rest. But if you can't tell a story, this is comics. And comics, your work is to tell a story. That's simple as that. But when Manuel Garcia says, what are three? I could tell my history in comics that naming these three guys. Thanks a lot to all of you three for, for everything. And let me see. Felipe Real tells you, Howard, I agree with Howard. I struggle with manga. But I found Manga Masters of the Art by Timothy Lemon. It has some fantastic artists and showed me that it was not all cartoon work. Uh It's not the cartooniness of it. It, it, It's the language and the structure of of how it tells the story that's the Mm -hmm. issue. I'm not talking about the drawing. Yeah, you know, Um, it's it it has it has a very very idiosyncratic approach to narrative that I find it's it it's so separate from the way I think of how a story tells itself Mm -hmm. that I'm not I'm not engaged enough to become part of it. It's about it's about the it's about Maybe it's about some people tell me they can't read comics, you know, but I've I've compared people, you know, in the same case, put them in front of a manga and then, you know, American or European comic book. And depending on the people, they react completely different. You know, there's people that the moment they have a manga in front of them, boom, they explode. I can get this, but they don't get the others. But the other way around, you put the manga in front of them. And they, they don't, you know, it's like the, the pacing and the structure for them is, it makes no sense. And not because you really, you know, 
in the Eastern way. No, just because they, they can't get it. And then the reviews of the American way, or you know, European or, or American comics, and they totally get it. Is that David LaPuente? David LaPuente is, it has, has absorbed much of the manga technique mm-hmm. and has managed to make it, it, it has, has inserted it accessibly into a more westernized concept. Mm-hmm. And it succeeds. What's the name of that guy? The the guy from New, from New England, Andrew. Um, he, he was an American guy who does who draws in a manga style. Andrew, with an H. Um, he did he did some work for Marvel. He did, he did you know. I, but he, again, he he has also applied a drawing style that, that uses manga, but in a, in a narrative in a structural narrative that I find accept, more accessible and and more successful for me mm-hmm. in terms of in terms of grasp and understanding. How do you know is that too? This CB that depending on who you talk to, they can grasp the language of comics better in manga or American or the other way around. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it, it all comes down to individual taste, really, you know, and just it it it, it I think it also depends on age, as as, as weird as that sounds. <laughs> yeah, um, good question. Yeah, I, I I hate to sound old, but you know, um, you know, I used to absorb manga. And, you know, in, in English and in Japanese, you know, when, when I was, was, was growing up, when I was living in Japan when I came back. But now, and it's not just because I work at Marvel, because I've been at Marvel for, you know, on and off for, for 20 years now. I try to pick up some, some new manga. Like, you know, my nephew, like, like I was saying, it's grandkids and nephews and nieces. My nephew will be into something and I'll try to, t- try to pick it up or I'll hear from a friend's kid, oh, you should be reading, have you read this? Or, you know, and I was like, no, I haven't. I try to read it. I just don't get it anymore. I should. You know, and I, I, I understand the, the, the format. I know I might even know the creator, um, but I just it, it just doesn't appeal to me as much anymore. Um, and it, it's and I, I hate to think that it's, it's because of my age, but but maybe it is because taste taste changes as well as we get older. So. Or, 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 or manga has evolved in a way that you feel separate because you you didn't continue reading it so regularly. Right. Yeah, but there's other manga that are super popular now that I've tried and I've loved, and I've I've, I've just recently started Demon Slayer, you know, um, and I I picked up the first six volumes and I read them in the course of like two or three days because I just loved it, I absorbed it, and it's just such an engaging story and it's told in an, an original format, um, and even the the artist admits like I'm not the best storyteller, I'm just going out. I love that in, in manga when the artists tell little stories and apologize to fans because they're they're still learning. Um, you know, and they thank their editors and stuff. And you, you, I've been able to watch the development of this guy because I've just been absorbing it through all the volumes that have come out and how he's gotten better through the guidance he's gotten from fellow creators or, or from his editors. And that's just, you know, fascinating as well. But it's it's the, the words that he puts in, in the, that he's using um, really help tell the story and complement the art um, in, in some of the places where it does fall down. So mm-hmm. it just, and maybe I see that as also a learning experience or, you know, something that as an editor, I have a, a keener eye for now. So I'm looking at it in a different way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, Howard. Uh, if I ask you, comics storytelling, what is it for you? Uh, rock and roll, jazz, or opera? I think it's all three. I mean, it has to be all three in real terms. I mean, um, I mean, somebody somebody posted some opportunistic little shit stain, just posted an, an assault, pissing all over Will Eisner. Okay, you know, comparing, you know. And I, I personally loathed Will Eisner on a personal level. I thought he was a loathsome person. He hated me. I hated him. But the reality is Eisner invented the language of comics. He was the one who broke the code to take what a Sunday newspaper page looked like in 1934 and translate it to the aspect ratio of a comic book page. Until Carby Kurtzman comes along 
everybody in comics is doing a variation on the theme of Will Eisner. They can't take that away from him. There's no way. But so what Eisner was doing was 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 romantic melodrama with a strong influence of the movies and radio. Kurtzman comes along and introduces a newspaper's detachment, you know. And when 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 Jack and Stan get together in the '60s, the expediency and necessity of turning out more material than either of them were prepared to do seemed to create a an, an idea that was that that eliminated the kind of movement that was that was part of part of Eisner's stuff, the kind of detached observation of Kurtzman's to replace it with impact. The irony of that, of course, is that Jack starts his career as an in-betweener on the Popeye cartoons, and the in-betweening nature of Jack's stuff vanishes within a couple of years of the, of, of the, the of, of his experience at Marvel. So for me, if I'm doing a book, the, the, the Times Squared is an extremely jazz-oriented book because I'm looking at the concept of repetition through and, 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 comp- and, and internal composition. While the other stuff I'm doing is very operatic. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a, my primary skill set is not in superhero comics. And people tend to think of superhero comics as opera, but they're really not anymore because what's happened is the comics, the, the, the writing of superhero comics has been conquered by people with a certain overweening self-regard for the sound of their own voices. And there's, there's a, a, a profound tendency in most writing of superhero comic books today to spend a great deal of time for superheroes to talk about how there's uh, how the superheroness of their lives is a tragedy that they must they must o- overcome and and be, not be not succumb to. I mean, we 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 work in a business which reveres Stan Lee, but we also forget how much of what we have today for good or evil derives from what Kurt, what, what, what 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 what's his name uh, Chris Claremont did with John Byrne and the X Men in the eighties. We now live in a world where that is the language of mm-hmm. mainstream superhero comics. That level of self pity, the level of identifying the the, the 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 tragic responsibility of the material—that's where the opera comes in. Okay, mm-hmm. um, so all three in ev- in every way, shape, and form. And let us not forget, for me, the fourth, which is the ballad. I'm a great believer in the ballad form in comics. I use it a lot. I re- to repetition and recreation. You know, mm-hmm. one of the things I teach when I teach is a Kurtzman job called Rubble about a Korean family building a house, which is an absolute perfect metaphor for narrative structure and repetition. Mm-hmm. But that's also the part of, just so you know, when I ask the Brits, the Brits about this, they all, they all, they all, to a T, they all answer, it's not, it's not either of them, it's punk. <laughs> They're just old men chasing their boyhood. <laughs> <laughs> so, CV, do you agree? Uh, that uh, yeah, it's Marvel, Comics, Marvel Comics was opera and now it's not anymore? No, you know, I, 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 what I was going to bring up, and it's completely different because they're writing me a jazz. One of the things I've been enjoying is o- over this is going back and finding these old issues of Amazing Heroes. And these kind of both, <laughs> these both, given what Howard just said, um, uh, speak to both. This uh, this is a full length, amazing interview with Bill Sienkiewicz from '84, um, and just about you know him coming up and what he was doing, and he talks strictly about his how his style is based on jazz and the the shorthands and everything he uses, and it was just fascinating to read you know his interpretation of jazz and working with Claremont, mm-hmm. and then right after I read the the, the ten years of, of Chris Claremont on on X Men uh, interview again massive interview where he talks about every artist that he worked with. Uh, you know, from the the start through, and uses different language in different musical metaphors for each of the artists in this, 
um, you know, talking about, you know, almost like, you know, the ballad and, and, and the operatic and things. So um, just Howard said everything perfectly. And just totally, <laughs> it's like he'd read those interviews at the same, but pulled all the information out of that. So, But what do you think? Is Marvel, uh, Marvel's storytelling is opera or is a, bit, a little bit of everything? It's a little bit of everything. Um, and right now I think we have a little bit of both. I, mean, I try to keep, or we try to keep everything a little bit more operatic. You know, it, it's all connected. It's this massive tale. It's got its, its tragedies and its love stories and the, the, the deaths and the rebirths and everything. But, um, you know, for some titles now and for the, given how, how some of the creators are uh, approaching the storytelling, um, it's almost become pop in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, 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 it's, it's, it's very, in your face, it's very bold. It's very in and out. You know, they're not really thinking about the long-term story. Um, you know, they're thinking oh, some some creators, and especially some creators who pitch us and don't understand what Marvel is just yet, come in and want to make a splash, uh, want want to make the biggest impact possible, want to think about their Twitter followers more than they're thinking about the longevity of the stories and their careers. Yeah. Um. At at, at the moment. Um. And some of it has substance. So get me wrong. Some of these stories are are phenomenal that are coming out that are being told in different ways. But um, you know, we just have to be very aware of that. And it's also our job as as publishers, as editors, you know, as, as creators to 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 know what's going on in the market, and you know, feed into it at some points if we're doing it correctly and properly and for the right reasons, and it's adding to the tapestry of the eighty year history of what we've done. But also know when things are maybe being done or creators are doing things for uh, the wrong reasons who want to come in and have, 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 have different, um, different ideas about the characters that, than we do. So. Yeah, this also, you just mentioned something that is, I think is a, a huge risk is happening right now, which is a lot of creators or potential creators being slaves to their Twitter or, or Instagram numbers, you know, caring more about how big their numbers, thinking this, that's going to translate into readers when it's not. Or, or or risking you know the quality of the stories you know to cater to their to their followers on those social networks. Are you feeling that? Are you seeing that risk too? You know, in terms of creators and and the social networks. Yeah, uh, I, I and again, I don't want to. It's it's not a blanket thing, yeah. but there are there are creators who worry too much about what their Twitter followers think of the comics and write stories or want to change stories or plot lines midway mm-hmm. based on what the reaction to the stories is. So say an issue will come out of a certain comic, part one or part two of a five-issue arc, and then they'll get the feedback before they finish the script issue five. Oh, we got to change all this. And my, my fans didn't like this. Or, or hey, I, I, did, I, I took a misstep with this character because this super fan online of this minor character said that I didn't handle them properly, so I'd like to rewrite what they do. And it's like, no, things change. You know, that's, that's the thing. And you're not writing comics for the internet. Yes, yes, internet opinions are important. And yes, those Twitter followers or people on Instagram are buying comics. But the feedback doesn't have to be instantaneous. You don't have to adjust your stories. That never happened in the past. You never had feedback to, for your comics until well after they came out or the letter, letters pages were done. Well after the scripts were in is when you got it. There's no need to adjust um, solely because of the internet. Yes, there's some important feedback that comes through the internet, comes through social media. It's great to have that kind of, of, of instant gratification and or <laughs> the, the, the opposite side of it. Um, but it's, it's not something that, that readers or, or that creators especially need to adhere to and think that those words are law because too many do. Mm-hmm. We need to keep some distance from the fans. You know? And I'm not saying that in a, in a bad way, but 
do we do we do that, that right, Howard? Let's skip the. I, I've told I've, I've told this story in in, the, in a in a pre-internet age. Um, I was on a panel at a comic book convention, and um, and this kind of the audience raised his hands and he, he expressed the dismay at the existence of miniseries because he felt there was no opportunity to participate and off, offer suggestions that the material how the material could end itself. And I I was completely taken aback. I had no idea that the process in which I worked had become democratized. <laughs> and, you know, and I and I and I fuck that. I know it's not that way. And and I I've been over the past couple of weeks. I've been on on the in, in, I've experienced a number of precisely what 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 CB is talking about, um, and it it the the cowardice of many of my colleagues in folding underneath these people is embarrassing to me. Mm -hmm. It's a, it demonstrates a sea change in character, and it also demonstrates the fact that um, if you are willing to accommodate your your working working creative vision, whether it's brilliant or not. To serve an audience that feels it as a, that you that, that you that it owns a part of you, that proprietary fandom does exist, mm -hmm. and I think you've surrendered to an aspect of, of the material that perhaps you want to rethink next time you actually you actually express an opinion that you think has merit or value. Yeah. Um, you obviate your value when you subsume your 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 original your initial impulses in the name of someone who feels. That their feelings reflect an inviolable absolute. Yeah, I, that's just bullshit. Yeah, and if, uh, you, fall, and if you fall for that democracy, then the, the, that audience believes they're always going to win, and then they right. become toxic, and that's you know, and then you get Star Wars, you know, where they have to dictate what happens in the movie at every second, and if it doesn't happen, that's a bad movie because it's not exactly what they had in mind. So I mean, it, I, I never thought Elvis was so lucky to die as young as he did, but he really lucked out. <laughs> you know, because he, he would have been he would have been a as as archetypal a victim of this sort of toxic fandom as comics and, and, and other popular cultures are. I believe that Elvis's death made Star Wars as a religion possible um, because El Elvis seemed to be the most Jesus figure that, that we had around back then. And that the, the, the desperate need for a secular religion was filled by Star Wars. Um, and I'm serious. I mean, it, I'm not being facetious here. These people have. A relationship to Star Wars that is akin to the dealing with the disciples, yep. and uh, it, it, I mean, getting a life would be a really interesting and, and intriguing experience. You know, mm -hmm. extant, extant and separate from performative morality. Yep. You know, from, from attaching yourself to a to a point of view that 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 that, that, that gets you likes. I don't need likes. You know, I'm I'm perfectly. You know, I if if my, if, if my my self esteem depended on the approval of others, I'd kill myself. You know, fuck <laughs> <laughs> well, this is one of the things with the internet too, David, and this is going back, you know, is that um, there's this misconception that that the that when people start creating comics, they stop being fans. And I always try to make sure that people under, don't realize that that the people who are making comics are just as big of fans as the people who are reading them, and they're reading everybody else's comics. Yeah. Um, and that's what I think. I always remind the people that I work with, the editorial staff, or the creators, like, don't forget the fan inside you. We're fans. Make comics as much for yourself as you're making them for other people. And if you're at a crisis, don't forget to turn to that fan inside you. What did you like in comics when you were growing up that you can inject in your into your stories? And how do you take that to the next level? Um, you know, look at look to yourself. Write a comic that you want to read um, as much as you're writing it for anyone else. Mm -hmm. But there's also a part of, of that that I, I'm guessing there's the younger creators are 
easier between brackets, you know, to to fall for that trap. To fall, you know, that like they see the they see the fans reading the stuff, having an opinion. They are not strong enough in a way. You know, they have, they don't they don't have a career, a long career where they have where they can say, you know what, screw it. So I guess it's also a matter of you know being too young and not able to you know react. And that's that's why it's good you know to have somebody, some other creator or an editor telling exactly what you said. It's like no, we are not going to change it because some fans said that. And as Howard said, this is not a democracy. This is not how it works, right? Creation. I take look. I take everything personally. I'm in a position now where I have to. You know, and I just I listen to the bad as much as I listen to the good. But I again, I have to take those comments for what it's worth because opinions are personal, and certain people there's different opinions about everything. I go to the comic shop every Friday. I sit there and I, I spend my hour there, and I talk to the staff. I talk to some fans who come in, just ask questions and stuff. And the opinions every Friday are so varying about movies and comics and manga and everything that that's where I find it, it it's calming for me to be there because I just remember that that's what's so beautiful about comics. Just as there's so much diversity in story and in storytelling and in art as we have now, there's just as many diversity as, as opinion. And it's those diversity of opinions, those conflicting opinions, the, 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 the typical comic book guy from The Simpsons who will argue with people, that that's as 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 much as jokes it's become, it really was does help drive comics. I've read comics that I wouldn't have read that I didn't think I would like if someone told me, oh, you should read this. You're going to like it. Or I've heard such some bad criticism about it. I was like, I have to read this for myself. And if it ended up enjoying it after so many other people have slammed it. So I'm, I have opinions like everyone else. And, you know, I, I, they're not always right. But, you know, it just that's what makes this world of what we do so much more fun. Mm-hmm. Howard? Yeah. I, 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 I still feel that you know, I mean, I, I respond to suggestions from people whose taste I respect. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I, I mean, for example, I just recently read the first of three graphic novels by, by one of the guiding lights of comics. Um, not, not mainstream comics, but separate. And I'm, I was nonplussed. I was flabbergasted by, by how utter, utterly unappealing and uninteresting the work was. Um, that it, it supported my feeling that it needed a, an editor, an art director, and, uh, and, and some... And, and, and someone to to sort of, you know, form and structure the material. Mm-hmm. Um, I I can't take seriously. I mean, I anecdotally, years ago, uh, I, I did my first interview on the Internet, and I made the mistake of reading the comments. And my feelings were really hurt. You know, I mean, it was like they were all anonymous. They were just, they were just a bunch of screaming twatitudes, just like, get the fuck. I told my wife, now David knows my wife. My wife is a fairly sanguine woman. And she said, you never listen to me. Why do you listen to these assholes? And she, <laughs> you know, and, you know, I had that, that dog sarcasm. Whoo, you know. <laughs> from that point on, I have made it a point to read nothing about me, positive or negative. Being neutral to criticism in comics is a very healthy choice. It's like those after-school specials, a healthy lifestyle choice. I just made one. And you know, I so basically, I'm I'm indifferent to flattery and I'm indifferent to to praise to to, to, to hostile attacks because they're 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 more often than not once once you examine where the criticism is coming from, you learn more about the critic than you do about the criticism. The more often than not, uh, there's an agenda attached. Years ago, in the early '90s, I did a book in which a character told an utterly reprehensible joke to convey how reprehensible this character was. And the first review I've read of the book, 
was him taking, was, I was taking the test for telling the joke. I did not tell the joke. I put the words in the mouth of a character that I wish you to understand is reprehensible. But this guy had an agenda. Mm-hmm. And that agenda always accompanies, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an impossible thing to avoid. And we, we, are, we are afflicted by this. It's when a career is built on selling entirely to the base that my suspicions are roused. Mm-hmm. And I just, I have no interest whatsoever in, in, in creating a lockstep fan base by pandering and patronizing to an audience. It's just, you know, I, I don't have, I have, I have limited respect for someone who is so, who is that easily bamboozled. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and they don't last long. And they, yeah. I don't, those creators don't really last, right? To me, if you don't find your own, find your own personality as a creator, aside of the opinions from, you know, the mass, the social networks, you don't last in this industry, right? You need to have, become uh how do you call it become you know tougher to the to criticism yeah it's true you know it, but that aside and i want to bring it back to the conventions for a second um you know it, it's interesting because i do think that we forget that how much positivity there is in this industry how much we all love it and how much the fans do love it you know it's the squeaky wheels you know that that that, that, that stick out but you know we go to conventions And we get go to panels. We do signings. We sit in Artist Alley. We I'm at you know at the Marvel booth a lot, and we prepare for the worst. We we do talking points about controversial things that might come up based on things that have been on the internet for a few months before, or you know difficult character points that that, that we we think might come up. And it usually never does. Everyone mm-hmm. just wants to talk about the good, how much they love the stories. They make suggestions of what we could be doing better. Everybody has a character that they like that we did something wrong with that they want to, 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 to be corrected. And we sit there and we listen. But the love and the passion that comes through in person is a diametrically opposite of what you see you know, on some of the, the, the social media platforms. So I just yeah, I because, they're cowards. Like, because they're cowards. Because they're afraid of confrontation, and because they embrace the idea of anonymity and being able to hide behind a keyboard, uh-huh. they have no. They have no. They have no. They, they have convictions without courage. They they bring their convictions to the keyboard, but when confronted by you face to face, they fall apart because they cannot. They they are afraid to be put into a position of actually defending a position which they feel deep in their heart, but not not deeply enough to actually defend it in a personal to person to person basis. It is a chicken shit form of criticism. Yeah, and it's also and it's also paralyzingly embarrassing. And it's also we know that you know that the people complaining on the internet is also is also you know the loudest, but they don't represent the biggest percentage. As this as CB just said, at all the biggest percentage is not like that. They are not you know crappy assholes with too much time to spend you know insulting other people. The real people just enjoys comics and loves them and loves to talk about them. Those mm-hmm. are the majority. Yeah, we, we, we get up every day and we love going to work. Howard, look, you're, you're, you're up so early out there, you know, already drawn, up talking comics. I've been up for hours doing this because right. I love it. David, same thing with you. You were at the end of your day, but you spent the whole day working with creators and, you know, and, and doing something we love. And that's just something that, you know, we, we, we can't forget. And I hope our creators never forget. And that's what I just want to remind them of. Like, we just love what we do. We just have to enjoy it. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm the luckiest son of a bitch alive. You're right, CB. Exactly. I agree. Absolutely. Same thing. Uh, Frank, artist Frank Galang asks you, CB, what are the most common mistakes that you find in a portfolio review? Hey, Fran. <laughs> um, the, the, the most common mistakes are uh, trying to emulate uh, another artist's style too closely. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as, as a comic book fan and as a comic book reader for, you know, the decades that I've been doing it, I can go and I can look at an artist's portfolio and instantly say, oh, you were influenced by Joe Matarairo, Humberto Ramos, Travis Charest, Carlo Pacheco. And they sit there and they go, how did you know that? And they just, and it's something, it, it is subconscious in, in, in that way, but it, it's, 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 it's aping, a, a an art, another artist style too closely is one of the biggest. There's a fine line between inspiration and imitation. And, you know, that's where the artists really have to find out how to move from being influenced by somebody because everybody grows up drawing like somebody or influenced by somebody or someone who you saw that you want to, you know, try to, to be more like it's, it's taking that style and making it your own. That is, is one of the, the things that I always give advice on that I always catch. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing, uh, the, the other thing is also, um, and Joe Casada always used to talk about this too, is when you're, you're doing a story for, for Marvel or DC or Star Wars, they focus too much on the action and the superhero antics in their samples and don't do enough with the actual, um, the slow scenes, the talking head scenes, as we call them, the, the, the Peter Parker and Mary Jane on a date scenes. Show us the character interaction. Show us the facial expression. Show us the body language. You know, the, the superheroes are real human beings, the Hulk aside and certain ones, in tights. If you can draw people being human, you can draw superheroes in the costumes doing the superhuman. Um, and they, the people don't put enough quiet scenes in their samples, I think, would be the two things that I, I see the most. Yeah, yeah. I remember I remember when I had Joe in Spain when he was still running Marvel Nights in Madrid. And I remember a few people yesterday, you know, three people in a row who came with portfolios. Joe asked me to translate there. And it was like only, you know, superhero fights, nothing else. And Joe, you know, told me to bring all these three people together, you know, like five minutes later, setting them down and said, there's no human people doing human interaction here. If I don't have that, this, you know, this is not enough. I need to see the other side. It's not only about the fight. It's about Peter. We believe in Peter loves Mary Jane and all that. Part. So that's something that's really important. People tend to only want to show the fights. And the difficult part between brackets is not the fights. It's, people being, it's humans being humans, right? Yeah, scale and perspective are extremely important in drawing those superhero fights. So, yeah, they are difficult in their own right in a different way. But, you know, drawing, drawing hands, drawing eyes, drawing hair, the motions, you know, that takes just as much skill as, as, uh, as some of the other, as, as the other aspects of, of superhero comics do. How difficult is it to draw feet, Howard? You know, just the environments, you know, actual cities that aren't generic, mm-hmm. uh, automobiles, guns that actually shoot bullets as opposed to chiclets, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just stuff. I mean, one of the reasons I like working with the two Marks, Mark Wade and Mark Guggenheim, is that they they have a real sense of narrative value and, and understand collaboration. Um, I've never drawn a script by either of those guys that I didn't understand completely mm-hmm. how they were calling shots down. And uh, and I, you know, I I, I have two fi- of, you know, file file drawers, four file drawers behind me, which I never use anymore because I the internet is here for that. Um, but I can't get rid of them because you never know. Because yeah. I mean, I don't fake anything. You know, I'm not talking about swipes. I'm talking about reference. You know, on my wall over there is the Al Parker page from the famous artist books, which lists what you need for your swipe file. Artists today, generally speaking, are too confident in their own memories and in their own skill sets to acknowledge the fact that a world exists outside of their imagination. Mm-hmm. It's important to to basically get past the generic. And get things. 
both visually and narratively. What you just mentioned about about uh, generic is something that I've seen a lot, and uh, which is with you know with the advent brackets of the digital world of the digital you know drawing digitally. I keep repeating to artists that building is nice to sketch up form, <laughs> but that's not a real building. You know, I don't see blinders. I don't see, you know, it's been, there's been rain and pollution, you know. I need to see that building is real or those it's, windows are real. And I just see generic forms that are taken from a computer. Yeah. It's a spine. It's a skeleton. It's a template. You have to build yeah. on top. Mm-hmm. You know, years ago, when I, I did a I did a five-issue series for, for reasons which I have no idea why anybody would want to publish this uh, for Marvel of the Phantom Eagle with Garth Ennis. And uh, Garth, like me, writes the entire entire series before he gives, delivers the first one, which I the way to do it, because you know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I called him and I said, you need to tell me, give me a complete list of every single airplane that exists in this five-issue narrative. He gave me that list. I then bought CGI models of every one of those airplanes, none of which were usable for, our, for, for actual finishing purposes, but gave an armature, a skeleton shape that could be done. I printed, I, I, I printed them out in, in, in all their various angles, traced them off, and then redrew on top of them, using it as a rough drawing. That's why, the, try drawing a biplane with that shit. It is just, the, it, it is a perfect tool, but it is a, an underdrawing tool. It is not a finishing tool. It leaves you with the generic as opposed to the specific. Mm-hmm. I've only got a few more minutes, unfortunately, but one of the things we haven't talked about I yet. Have jobs, you know, David. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, we'll finish this question, and, we'll, and then we'll talk about food to finish That's this. Good. That was where I was going. Speaking yeah, of, baby! We haven't, talked about, we haven't talked about food, and one of the things about, <laughs> about being generic is generic food in comics always kills me. I know that's a small thing. Same thing. Same thing. Small thing. But You're talking to a guy who included recipes in his comic books. Yeah. I believe I can dig it, you know? I was reading a comic recently, and this is just how my, my mind works and how just nitpicky I get. Uh, there was a character talking about, oh, I'm glad to be back in New York because I can get an actual real pastrami sandwich. And I looked at the sandwich the artist had drew, and it was almost like a Subway sandwich. And I was like, you don't eat pastrami like that. Pastrami's on rye, cut in half. It should be a triangle. <laughs> and, and, at least, at least, and, and in a single unit the size of your head. What are you talking about? <laughs> okay, what is, what is the food, before, before CB needs to leave, what is the food you miss the most from your travels along, around the world? Oh, boy, you know, and... <clears throat> I, I, the list could go on for me, you know. Okay, let me ask it this way. What is the food you miss the most today? <laughs> the, the, the food, the three things I miss most, and if I, I, I just get there, is the three play. I have, it's the first time in 30 years I haven't been back to Japan in over uh, in over a year. Um, so not only do I miss my mother-in-law's home cooking, but I miss Tokyo. I miss I miss some of my favorite restaurants. I miss just the the being able to go and get a, a good yakitori or a good okonomiyaki. Um Dying to get back to Mexico City soon, or anywhere in Mexico. We were in Oaxaca and, and Merida right before the the, um, the pandemic, and just uh, Mexican food, bar none, is some of my favorite on the planet. And then, David, and I'm not just playing to the crowd here, but to, to get back to Spain, I miss uh, Spain dearly, be it, you know, Barcelona or Madrid. Someday I'm going to get up to Galicia. But just, you know, we found a really good Spanish restaurant here. I um, haven't tried the one you recommended yet, but went back to, to Isaiah. Had some wonderful pulpo, some octopus. Uh, just had some fantastic pinchos, and uh, just just really want to get back to 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 Spain to just experience just the tapas culture alone. Just to go on a tapas crawl is something I'm dying to do. So. Yeah, Howard. For me, in Spain, it's favada, always favada, uh, favada and cachopo. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yes, 
um, you know, and in Germany it's Mauthausen, um, because I the idea of di- dying for a giant ravioli that's deep fried in Germany is a way to go, you mm-hmm. know, um, and 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 explicitly in, in CB you you can feel jealous of me. I live in a town with the best restaurant in town is a hole in the wall dive named Quinebaca, run by a guy who comes from Mexico City. Who it is the best taqueria I've ever been to in my life. He spent more money on his sign than he did on the interior decoration of the place. It would fuck you up. Uh, trust me. Any, any, when DC moved out west, everybody came up for a pilgrimage up to here. And the, 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 the fortachon that he serves, his, 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 his version of what, of what, of what his pasta is fajitas, his chili rellenos, it, it is just staggering. Trust me on this. But yes, Mexico City. His, the, quality, the quality of the food at Cuernavaca is on a par with the best taquerias I've ever been to in Mexico City. Oh, but for me, eat, eating in the world is all about Spain. It is completely Spanish. Uh, it used to be Italian, but it's completely Spanish. I mean, Asturias, Gijón, Oviedo, and Aviles, Jamonerías, Manchego, Cachopo. It just, it's comidas perfecto en todo el mundo. Mm-hmm. You know. Can I get you both to Galicia? Sooner than later. Can I answer one question here that just came up? Yeah, yeah, um, I, was, I was going to go with that. Go, go Carolina first. said, people always ask for tips on inside pages, but what about covers? And I think a lot of the same rules apply. Um, you know, covers, the best covers, when you look back at your favorite comic covers, or when I look back at my favorite comic covers, they told a story. Uh, it's it, it's an art form we lost, and Marvel was a part of this, and I you know, take part of the blame for it, you know, about 20, 15, 20 years ago, where just a lot of them became pinup covers. And those has always been there, but we moved away from storytelling covers for certain reasons. And now we've been really trying to recapture that magic and remind people to go back. These covers should tell a story. And it's a fine line to walk because you can't, you don't want to tease, you want to tease what's going on inside. You don't want to give anything away. You don't want to do, get spoilers. But you want to come up with an image that tells a story that pulls people in. A cover should really be page one of the comic in many ways because that's its job. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, sometimes a, a, a great shot of Wonder Woman or, um, you know, the, the Scarlet Witch will, will do that. And there's no – not saying there's anything wrong with that because be- there are beautiful covers that are like that. But every cover should in some way contain some element that tells a story that makes the reader want to know more and pick that book up off the shelf. Mm-hmm. How would I, you categorically, I categorically disagree. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the, the, the idea of, of the cover as synopsis is a mistake. I think when you look at a guy like, like Adam Hughes, who was mistaken for a pinup artist, who was actually an extraordinary draft and who's got an idea, but more specifically Dave Johnson, who is the best cover artist comics has had since Kurtzman. Um, there, it's not so much a story, and, and again, I, I know what you're going for CB, but but it's not so much a story, but but a graphic idea that 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 is attractive. It's for me. You you say you say page one of the book. For me, it's a poster. I, I abjure the pinup idea. That's not what I'm talking about. But Dave's work is so so rife with ideas and cleverness and wit. As is da- as is Adams. The guys who imitate Adam do not have that wit. But you look at what Kurtzman did at the at EC, and you look at for me. The best comic comic book covers ever made were the covers that Reed Crandall did for the Black Hawk and military books back during the Second World War. They are so packed with ideas. They are so smart and clever. If you're not familiar with that stuff, CB, take a look. No, I, at I'm, it. I'm, I'm, I'm making a note. <laughs> it, would, it will blow you away. They're, they are so they are clever. They are funny, and they are, and they and he he steals from everywhere. You know, he just really does. He's a guy who's due for for a re- reexamination and a reorientation as one of the giants of the field. But for me, a cover should be an idea visualized, not a story, but an idea, one idea. That's why I, 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 
The Vertigo line of comics always pissed me off because it was just totally too abstract and too absurd, obscure for me. But that's just me. <laughs> I agree with you about Adam, and I don't know if you've seen him. He's been doing Black Widow's cover for us, and everyone he experiments. We, we tell him he, he even does the logo himself, the placement and everything, and what he's doing is pulling so people smart. in. Yeah. He's so smart and so pissed yeah. off. Uh, Howard, what's the most effective way to study other artists? Uh, Dom Gomez asks you. In what sense? How do you mean study? I don't know. Dom, please clarify. (laughs) Okay, so while he clarifies my last one, CB, the moment you need to leave, just say it, okay? Yeah, I'm I'm really going to have to go now, David and Howard. I'm sorry. It was great talking to you both. Thank you for everyone who joined. Um, Wonderful to see everybody. David, congratulations again on the year. Hopefully, you know, there's another year. And hopefully you'll be able to do this in person when we can all start traveling and all this, uh, you know, COVID is, is behind us. So. We'll do it. We'll do it. We'll do it. Big hugs to you and to me. Like yeah, say, I can you know. I Aaron. Yep. Stay healthy. Right. Eric, you too, Howard. Take care. That's a Dom's question. Uh, the yeah, best way question he just clarifies says, like, if I were to study David Finch, how would I get something out of it for my own work? I, I, I find the, the work you're talking about, I mean, I, I, I tend to look at masters as opposed to, um, to guys who do work that, 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 that is momentarily appealing. You know, it's, it's hard for me to, for me to think of, of guys like, you know, I mean, I, lo- I look at the, mo- the modern guys whose work I admire and, and, and study are people like Lionel Yu, uh, Eduardo Riso. Um, most, for the most part, um, you know, it's, it's a matter of, of, of dissecting, dissecting and figuring out. I mean, I remember... The experience I had when I finally figured out what Robert Fawcett was doing visually in the early 80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, I look at a lot of illustrators. But the work that I look at these days has very little to do with, with, what, with what, what the narrative is about, what the characters are about. They don't, it doesn't interest me. What, the, the guys I look at, I, I look at, at old masters. I look at Alex Toth. I look at Bernard Kriegstein. I look at Harvey Kurtzman. I look at Ferdinand Tacconi. Uh, I look at Carlos Jimenez. Um, okay, let's, let's just say you're what you're looking at to, you know, to straighten his question. You're looking at a Carlos Jimenez page or a Bernie Quickstein. Right. What, well, what Chris, is, what's the most effective way to study, you know, those masters' pages and try to incorporate them into your own work? Separate yourself from what the story is about and look instead about how the story is told. Yeah. And by, know, the end of the day, it's not, it's, by the end of the day, it's not also... He's, you know, Greg Capullo told me a great phrase a couple months ago when he was here. He said, sometimes, you know, working, 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 studying, studying, studying means that you have such a big, you know, stash that you don't even know about in your work, right. but also in your head. That you're working on a page and somebody, you know, like three years later is going to tell you, oh, that looks like it had influence from whoever. And you're like, I didn't notice. I just have so many stuff in my head. I just goes to the page, right? Here's the best way to think about it. You know, when I hear people being talking about being influenced by Alex Toth, who I regard as the best comic book artist American comics ever had, mm-hmm. being influenced by Alex Toth is not drawing like Alex Toth. Being influenced by Alex Toth is understanding the narrative, the design system that he applied to narrative and applying it to your own work, not mm-hmm. drawing the way Alex drew. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, Bill Sienkiewicz started his career imitating Neil Adams. Bill mm-hmm. Menes started his career imitating George Perez. But they've gone on to become different men. Um, and, and the influence is profound because it's, it's, it's both, there, there's, there's a tremendous love attached to the imitation, but there's also an envy and a resentment that they got there first. And once you get past the resentment and the envy and become someone else, that's where the joy begins. Does that make sense? Absolutely. 
Sunday. David, I gotta go. I gotta go. Yep. Yeah, um, I just wanted to finish this. To finish, to to finish that, I just wanted to finish that question. Thank you. Give my love to Paloma, to Aaron. You know, mm -hmm. with, with luck, we'll see you soon. I, I, I cannot wait to sit across from you on a table and piss and moan about other people. Mm -hmm. You have no idea how I miss it. So you know, I'll see you. I'll see you very soon. Let's hope so. In the shadows oh. of your mind, but we'll 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 make it happen. You know, as soon as this crap is sober and dealt with. I mean, if I if I believe in God, I pray, but I don't. So let's just hope. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's let's keep it a hope. And I don't believe either. So you know, believe in science. You know, that's what we have. Science. That's will, it. That's science it. will fix this shit, this shit. That's the thing. <laughs> All right, a big, a big is it. My best at home, and we'll see you soon. I'm out. Okay. Later, guys. Take care, my friend. Same to you. Bye. And to all of you, thank you so much. Um, muchas gracias. Happy New Year. No, it's been a year. It's been a year. No sé cuánto vamos a durar. Probablemente hasta el 199, que será hasta final de mayo. Probably until end of May, which will be episode 199. If I don't have, if I don't have quien quiero para el 200, if I don't have one for 200, I will stop right there. That will be the last episode. Ese será el último episodio si no consigo a quien quiero para el 200. Ya está. Y son solo tres opciones que son muy fáciles, ¿sabes? It's only three options that is very easy to know. Anyway, uh, thank you so much. Muchas gracias. And take care. Bye, bye.